This week, join me with my guest storyteller, Sydney Plant, as we discuss the stereotype of the angry black woman. Yeah, it's a real thing. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And you know what got me started? What made sure my voice got out there? It was Anchor. And why did I choose Anchor to host my podcast? Well, easy. It was free. And they have all these amazing tools built right into the app. So it's really easy to get started and get your voice out there. And the best part, they make sure to distribute your podcast everywhere it needs to go, like Apple, Google, Spotify, and so much more. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You're listening to the authentic and unfiltered podcast with my mom, Farheen. Episode 20, Angry Black Woman. Welcome to Authentic and Unfiltered with Farheen. And this week's episode is very pertinent to what happened yesterday. Last night was the vice presidential debate where Kamala Harris faced off against Mike Pence. And it was actually a better debate than the presidential debate a week and a half ago, which was God knows what that was. Last night... um, After the debate happened, there was a lot of uh, news pundits talking about how Kamala Harris, being a woman, had to thread a fine line. She had to be careful, and they were were calling her out on that she could have been a little bit more forceful and angrier. And then Van Jones of CNN was like, well, there is this stigma on black women about the angry black woman, and that they get angry really fast, and that's why she has to be careful, and it made sense to release this episode with this thought because this is exactly what I'm going to talk about today with my uh, guest Sydney Plant who I'll introduce to you in just a moment. We talked about this stereotype and how it's a very real one and it's a problem and why is it there? And before we get into the conversation, do make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at authentic.unfiltered and that's the same for Facebook as well and then Now we have a YouTube channel. Yes, so this interview is in the audio form here in podcast, and then there's a video version on YouTube, which is all in my links. Um, And you can find all those links at farheenraza.com. Make sure to please like and rate and subscribe to the podcast. I do appreciate it. And now without further ado, take a listen. Joining me today is a really interesting person who I came across God knows from where, because this is the best part of podcasting, (laughs) is that we come across each other we just connect. And if nothing else from podcasting, I was telling my husband this the other day that the people I've made connections with and, and the people I've just, you know, met, online met, uh, it's just it, the variety of people is just amazing. And if nothing else, this has been the best experience. So my guest today, let me tell you a little bit about her. Her, um, her name is Sidley Plant and her, uh, storytelling is her life. Yes, storytelling. So she is on a mission to make storytelling her life's work. Her storytelling style is often revealing and bold as she shares some of her most intimate and vulnerable moments with audiences. Sydney also produces the Women of Candor live storytelling show and the Women of Candor podcast. The show features African-American women who tell stories that give audiences all the feelings, ranging from tears to laughter. She is living her best life when she teaches storytelling at Stomping Ground Comedy Theater in Dallas, where she developed their storytelling curriculum. All very interesting. And so you're a funny girl, huh? Um, yeah, I've been told that. <laughs> yeah, I like, to, I like to laugh. Yes. I think anyone who can make other people laugh, it, that's a superpower in my books, because making people laugh is not easy. Well, you know, storytelling is funny because it's not quite, I don't do stand up. So I've done improv and I've done storytelling. So like, 
back when we were getting out in the world and I would be in an Uber going to Dallas Comedy House when it was open, um, the Uber driver would say, oh, you're going to Dallas Comedy House. Tell me a joke. And I'm like, I don't do that. Definitely. And before we get into the meat and bones of this talk that we're going to be having mm -hmm. on the angry black woman, which I yes. think <laughs> is amazing because this is something that along with everything else in the world that's happening every mm -hmm. day, literally every, every day, day <laughs> every day, my, my bandwidth, my brain bandwidth is shot. Like I have nothing. I'm like, okay, now what? Okay. New thing today. Okay. Something else today. But I have noticed in the past, um, this past four or five months, the angry black woman has mm -hmm. come out this, this uh, choice of words has come out in many articles, TV shows, everywhere. And I'm like, huh. So when we were talking on our phone, we were just, you know, getting to know each other. When you, we said angry black woman and you were like so passionate about it. I was like, okay, come on the show and talk about this. <laughs> because this is something we need to get into. Mm -hmm. I think everyone is charged up, fired up, left, right, center, above the sky, below the sky, wherever you are. Everyone's charged up. And so this angry black woman and... Uh, you know, of course, I do not mean to offend anyone by saying anything on this podcast. It's just <laughs> honestly a learning experience. Because the funny thing was, I mentioned one of my other podcasts, when I was growing up in New York, mm -hmm. I had a lot of black friends, because it, mm -hmm. it was, you know, demographics there. And back then, you couldn't say the word black, you had to say African American, which mm -hmm. was very normal for me to say, and then suddenly having to switch over to saying black. So if I sometimes hesitate in saying the word, it's not because I'm like, oh, I can't say it. This is like my brain is saying African-American, but then my mom's like, no, no, it's not right. Not right anymore. It's black. I didn't know it wasn't right anymore. <laughs> I don't know. People have been telling you me know, <laughs> I just say, don't call me anything that starts with an N. Um, <laughs> let's not even get close to anything. And, you know, it's so funny. Um, when I was... 11, I joined the NAACP. This is like back in the yellow pages days. My parents were not involved in any of this stuff. And so I looked up the NAACP and they were having meetings at some church. And I'm like, mom, will you drop me off at Christ Temple? And she would drop me off and I would go to NAACP meetings like in middle school and high school or middle school at that time. Um, and so this is not new to me, but I remember coming home and telling my parents, like, I'm African-American, like, stop calling me black. We're African-American. <laughs> so yeah, I was in middle school when African-American took hold. Yeah. Um, so we were Afro-American before that black, you know, I'm just black, you know, whatever. Um, I'm good with black. I'm good with African-American. Like I said, you know, there's people of color. That is not the same as colored people. Um, so, Which I you know, a lot of people are confusing now with this whole, like I myself am very confused when I see BIPOC. They're like, BIPOC. Uh, I, I just like, learned this like a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, okay, this is a new one. Like, <laughs> yes. When did you learn this? Like, like three weeks ago. <laughs> Me too. I was like on a call and, um, I was like, I'm what now? Like, because I was on this diversity committee um, with, with stomping around comedy and, yeah. you know, we're talking and it's really interesting because, you know, I'm 45 now. So when I was in college, um, we were very much, we came together on certain issues. Like we wanted a multicultural center yeah. and we had the same minority student affairs office. We shared an office with the, with the Native American students, the Asian mm -hmm. students and Latino um, students shared a, an office. So we were around each other, but we very much kind of represent our own interests. Mm -hmm. And now there's such a collective, like, 
huge um, umbrella of, of people from different backgrounds that are kind of fighting for the same things. But I, I found that some of it culturally is a little odd for me being older. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think getting back to the angry black woman thing, we all have different communication styles. Yeah. Um, we all come from slightly different backgrounds. Our, our cultural and um, our approach to civil rights can be different, you know? And so you're talking about LGBTQIA plus um, yeah. issues. Yeah. And you know, more to be added, I guess. And yeah, I, I understand. I mean, and we want to respect every single person what they feel, but sometimes, honestly, the, the acronyms are just getting too long. And I was like, yeah. I, I don't know what to say. And people are just so uh, politically correct now that it's, it's mm-hmm. it gets hard that if you say the wrong thing, and right? People will take offense to it, right? Like that, they'll take offense, and you're like, I really didn't mean to say that when oh, I was. Oh yeah, up. I'm just. There was I'm, other colorful language out there when I was growing up, and. You don't want to be called any of that. We don't use any of that anymore. But, you know, LGBTQIA plus and right. then BIPOC and then this, this. I was like, okay, there's too many acronyms. I can't. Yeah, I'm much. starting to feel my age a little bit more. <laughs> and it was so funny. I, I'm, I'm actually teaching a storytelling class. Um, and our theme is privilege, which mm-hmm. is really fun. I'm sure we'll talk a little, I'll bring that up a little bit um, throughout our conversation. So I was looking at um, Archie Bunker and All in the Family clips. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen those shows yeah. and George Jefferson. Yeah. I mean, they were saying the N word and the F oh, word yeah. pertaining to homosexuals. I mean, like I'm sitting here watching this, like, wow, this was on network television. Mm-hmm. So um, we've come a long way externally in what we say but I don't know if we've come a long way in how people feel and I think there that's where we're starting to see such a chasm between people because I do think there has been a sincere change in a lot of people I do believe that I do believe there has been a sincere change in a lot of people and I also believe that there are a lot of people who didn't get an opportunity to change and um and and we're seeing that and, and those feelings haven't changed and they've just been stoked and people are mm-hmm. um, coming, you know, out from the shadows and showing us yeah. how they really feel. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So this angry black woman, mm-hmm. I had to look it up because I, I knew, I mean, again, like I heard it many times and it was always said here and there and in reference and even in our phone call. But then I looked it up like, what does it actually mean? It basically, it's a trope in American society that portrays African-American women as sassy, ill-mannered. Mm-hmm and ill-tempered by nature. Mm-hmm. And then there's other words that people say, like the sassy black woman or mm-hmm. Sapphire, which I guess it was a reference to a movie. Yes. A character named Sapphire mm-hmm. had this attitude. And this is where they say that this trope originated. Was from right. Character Sapphire. And so when I was uh, looking into it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Because, I mean, many of us have also thought that, like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, this person happens to be black and then they're angry. So it's an angry black woman. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Be scared. And so exactly what is an angry black woman to you as a black woman? I think as a black woman, it is a powerful tool for people to use to silence black women, ironically. I think that's the irony of it, is that when you, because all anger is not bad. There is righteous indignation and righteous anger, exactly. and um, black women can be victims. And so <laughs> it's, it's actually true, it's a thing. And so when we speak up, um, we a lot of times tend to silence ourselves 
or fear of being called an angry black woman. So it's like this double-edged sword where um, some of us, um, especially in the workplace, I think, you know, I'm a professional woman. So um, a lot of us swallow a lot of things because it's like, don't want to be seen as an angry black woman, Mm. you know? And um, so that's part of it. I think inside the race, um, I think when it comes to gender roles, a lot of black women um, are leaders in the household, a lot of single black women. Mm -hmm. So we appear to be stronger or keep things together for everybody. So some of it's based on reality, whether or not it's anger. I think the cousin to the angry black woman is the strong black woman. And so they kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways. Um, I remember going to therapy even I think I was like 23, 24. And the woman, she was a black woman actually. And she said, you're so strong. And she started telling me her business. <laughs> and so there is this, you know, I present, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm not super tall, but I'm a larger woman. I'm a taller woman. And so I think some of us present and we um, give off strength and where other women may have the benefit of people thinking, oh, Asian women are more docile or they're more submissive. Um, white, pe- white women are more submissive. They're very feminine. And um, we're just kind of cast off as these um, hardened, um, can take everything type of women. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to the angry thing, a really interesting thing happened yesterday when I was teaching my storytelling class on privilege. The woman who asked me to um, do a show on privilege, we ended up landing on a, on a class. She's um, Caucasian. And um, we're starting to narrow down the stories we're going to do. And she told a story about being in high school and three black girls beat her up. And I'm like, oh, no, Um, please don't tell me three black girls beat you up. And I'll get to that point in a moment. And then um, she didn't know them. And she goes to the principal's office. They find the girls and um, they were going to press charges. And she said, you know, don't press charges. I just want to talk to them. So the next day she talks to the girls and said, why did you beat me up? I don't even know you. And they said, you cut. And she said, what? I'm like, she cut in line at lunch. And there was a part of me that said, oh, you know, (laughs) like we were, I was like, at first, my first thought was like, she only cut in line. Then I said, okay. And she explained that she brought her lunch to school every day. And so she didn't wait in line. She would just go up to get the condiments and cut through people and not probably say, excuse me or whatever. And they thought she was just really rude and dismissive to them because they were black and she was white and she looked entitled and she would just, it was a very demeaning thing to those girls. And so she likened that to how she feels now being an ally of black people and then seeing um, the rioting and the looting. It's like, I'm with you, but you're having this response. And it's like, okay, maybe I'm not looking at this like those girls who are getting cut in line. I don't see it. So I don't see the anger festering. And so when she told that story, there were two other African-American women in the class, myself and two students. And, um, you know, I said, the funny thing is I can recount to you probably at least 10 times where I've been cut in front of, where a little lady kind of elbows me and moves me out the way. If I'm at a buffet or something, if I do something or say something, then I'm the angry black woman. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I know what it's like to play chicken on the street with white men. Are you going to move aside or I'm going to move aside um, when you're coming down the street? I don't know if you feel that way, but the historical legacy in this country is black people move, excuse me. Um, the historical legacy in this country is that when white people come down the street, you move off out the way. That's what we had to do. Mm-hmm. And so when a white person comes down the street, especially a man, um, it's kind of like, are you really going to expect me to step in the grass so you can walk down the street? Mm-hmm. And it becomes like this game of chicken. And I was talking to my mom about this yesterday after we had this class and I was having this conversation. She said, well, we had a neighbor and I refused to move, you know? So like those, when we talk about microaggressions and stuff like that, mm-hmm. people may not know when you push that black woman, bump her in the store without saying, excuse me, or, you know, putting her change on the counter and not handing it to her, things like that can become major offenses because of the historical legacy of them. It could be that a person back in the day could literally be beat, lynched, lose their job for not moving out of the way for a white person. That comes with a lot of baggage, whether we saw it in movies, we've heard stories about it in our family, we carry those wounds and that knowledge around at all time. So where someone else might get bumped, they might just think, we're all human. We just didn't have enough space on the sidewalk. (laughs) What's your problem? I just bumped you. I didn't mean it. This could be the third bump of the day where somebody didn't say, excuse me. Um, You know, and the historical part of that, you know, you want to drive a black person crazy, sweep around them at a restaurant, sit them next to the bathroom door (laughs) and put their change on the counter. Like those are some things that will drive us bonkers Um, because we used to have to sit in the back of the restroom. I mean, uh, restaurants by the bathroom or by the kitchen, um, not to be seen. So where the waiter might think this is my section this is where I have to seat you because this is my section. This is where I work. It might feel like you're putting me in the back because that's where you think I belong. So yeah. I think there's a lot of times where black women appear to have a, a a chip or be quick to anger, but it's because you don't see all the things that are going on in a black woman's life on a daily basis. So microaggressions are just not verbal a lot of times. Oh, definitely. They're not. And yeah. I think a lot of people, especially the younger crowds kind of forget that Jim Crow was not too far. No. It's not like a hundred years ago. No. It's it's literally only 50, 60. And then even in some places, some of the Southern states still have a lot of this problem going on. And I myself am from the Northeast. So the Northeast Mm -hmm. is a different country. I Yes. Boston is like a, it's like, okay, yeah, all this history happened here, but none of it stayed there. And there's people who, are you know racist there but the overarching bulk of the northeast is very progressive in thought so when i moved here it was like a smack in the head like is this the same country like did i just move to a different part country altogether you know my experience has been really different i'm from michigan originally um, then I lived in Chicago for about nine years. Then I lived in New York for a couple of years yeah. and now I'm in the Dallas area. So what I can say is that, um, there's different flavors of racism. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's like a pack of crayons, you know, like that 64 pack um, where you just, you, you just get all those different colors. And um, it's not even like the eight pack where you can just yeah. say, okay, there's like eight different types. It comes in different colors. It comes from different sides. It yeah. comes from different communities. So, you know, living in New York, for example, um, in the 90s and the 80s, there was like huge problems between African Americans and Jewish people in New York, right? And I was from Michigan. And um, we had Jewish students that kept coming to us when I was in college and saying, hey, you want to serve soup together? And I'm like, for real, we don't have a problem with you. <laughs> like, we really don't need to serve soup with you. We really, I swear to goodness, we never talk about you. We're not mad at you. <laughs> like, you can go to New York with this, but we really, you're, you're just not, we don't feel like we need to have this kumbaya moment with you. Like, it's <laughs> really not on our radar. Like, seriously, I can't explain to you how much this is not happening on this campus. And part of it was like, the Hillel Center was people were drawing swastikas and setting it on fire. And I'm like, yeah. go find those people. Like, I've never seen a black person draw a swastika before. Please go find the person who put the swastika on your building. Yeah. Go, go pick that fight or go, go heal with that group. And so sometimes I feel like as a person of color, a black woman, especially that sometimes people want to work out their issues with us. Um, oh. When their issue is sometimes with just good old fashioned white folks, you know, oh, um, yeah, that's a great point. Because yeah. <laughs> I think because everyone does have a little bit of internal, you know, racism and bias in them. Mm -hmm. and they're like, well, now I have to be your best friend because I have a problem in me that I need to fix, but can you help me fix it? Right. Whereas it's a problem that I have to fix on my own and kind of do my own research and maybe even counseling or watch some great documentaries on the black experience because there are some right. wonderfully made, you know, documentaries, movies, TV shows, watch those. Like we spent a lot of our summer catching up on the movies that we were ready to show the kids because a lot of these movies are very and my oldest is 10 so you can imagine the younger okay. ones and we're like what can we watch but we'll have to let them watch and then be there present and filtering at the same time right so like educating selma. yeah selma mm -hmm. we, we made them watch selma we showed them the bridge and everything and every time the movie had the n-word the f-word we're like bad words we don't say them but right it was like you know a teaching moment we're like this really happened right and then uh, my sister had actually gone to um, uh, Birmingham for a work mm -hmm. trip and she was at that bridge. So she had a picture and she's like, right. look, I went there. So this real, this bridge still exists. This still happened. And then when um, the funeral happened for John Lewis, we're like, look, right. see, this is the same place. History, let's connect it. But we didn't say, hey, you know, the neighbor's kid who's black, go play with him now. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, the whole point of this really happened is huge. Yes. And again, it goes into people's... Um, when you talk about being an angry black woman or just, you know, angry and black at all, yeah. a lot of our experience sometimes is people telling you to get over it. It's not that big of a deal. Give that person a yeah. break. Maybe they didn't mean it, you know? So a lot of times when you have feelings that are justified to you, how often are we told to get over them? It's not that bad. You're complaining. And, um, uh, getting back to your point, sorry about John Lewis and Birmingham. Um, my grandparents moved back down to Alabama um, when they retired. And we used to go to Montgomery in the summers. My sister went to college at a HBCU, um, historically black college in Alabama. She went to Alabama State where my grandmother had gone. And um, 
when we were children, my grandmother was like, oh, you can't go to the park over there. They wouldn't let us go there, you know? So it was like, oh, we don't go to that park. And even though it was the eighties and we probably could go to that park, she didn't want any parts of that park. And, um, so that's part of the legacy. And then getting back to this part of a lot of people will say, black people complain so much. You're always so mad. You're always this, and you're always that. And having done my podcast, Women of Candor, and focusing on Black women's voices um, for the last two years, what I've come to appreciate about being a woman of candor, which um, means honest, outspoken, and sincere, that's why I chose that word on purpose, because it doesn't have, nobody really has defined that word. It doesn't have any, um, it's not loaded in any way. Yeah. But it is how I view a lot of black women. We're, we're women of candor. We, we are a little, um, we're, we're going to tell it to you straight. Um, we're direct. Um, we're passionate. If you get all of my aunts in a room and everything, we're going to have five conversations going on at once. Yeah. It is not rude to cut <laughs> someone off. And we know what all five conversations are. Oh, it is a yeah. skill. It is not something to be ashamed of. You know, I took a class on African-American vernacular and they had taped a bunch of black women talking and it's just a phenomenon. I'm sure other cultures have it too, but yeah. you can have three side conversations on and nobody's saying, you didn't say, excuse me, you didn't do this. I mean, no. it's just a whole different way where it might be exuberant and comfortable to us and it could be scary to someone else. You look at the black church or any um, Pentecostal church, no matter what the race is or something, where people are very um, animated and high spirited, if I you will. It's fascinating. And, and we do those things in love. And, you know, you, you sit in a cafeteria, some black kids laughing. We might laugh and we might get up and run around and <laughs> come back and smack hands and laugh some more. I mean, that's just <laughs> we, what we do. I mean, if you want to take advantage of the angry black woman stereotype, be a white woman with tears. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the crying and the, you know, she did this to me and, you know, just the victimhood that takes place and um, whether or not it's warranted. And I take copious notes these days. <laughs> and uh, I went to a meeting uh, with an HR director and a woman I mean, she was crying and she, I want to do a grievance. And he's like, I just don't see what your grievance is. (laughs) And she was just making up stuff. Like when it didn't work, she tried to play the Christian card. She tried every card she could play. And I'm like, ma'am, I don't drink. You know, like, like she just kept trying to play him, like play on his whiteness, play on his Southern, um, you know, dialect and where he's from and his religion. And she tried everything. And he finally said, you know what? We got Sydney from New York and we knew what we got when we got her. She's direct. Um, There's all different types of biases and diversity. He was like, I'm from the South. I really don't, you know, see it for Yankees that much, but I know I might have a bias. So I'm very extra careful when I deal with people from the North. Sounds like you might not appreciate her communication style, but you have no grievance. So you need to learn how to deal with people with different communication styles than yours. But so that was the first time out of 20 years in my career, because that wasn't the first time that it happened. And, um, so that's why when a lot of people talk about Dallas and some of the things, believe me, there's a lot that goes down here that I don't care for, especially in the last four years. But that was an experience that was, you will never, a person will never know how 
um, much I appreciated that because yeah. that had gone down differently so many times where a woman actually yelled at me. I went back to my boss and said, this woman came in my office, slammed the door and yelled at me. And she said, no, she wouldn't do that. Three years later, that same woman saw me in the bathroom and said, Sydney, I, I've been wanting to apologize to you for so long. I yelled at you. I don't know why I did it. And, and so she apologized for me for three years and she felt bad about it. But when I went and told someone, they literally said she wouldn't do that. Yeah. And so that's what it's like to be, <laughs> if you want to know why Black women are angry, <laughs> it's really like a, a lot of it's because as so-called loud as we are, people often push back and just don't believe us. Yeah. If people believed half the things we said we went through, you'd know why we were mad. Yeah. Um, no, so definitely. yes. Definitely. And, and do you feel black women are hesitant to show anger? You did touch on this before mm -hmm. that even if the situation calls for it, let's say there is something that happens that you should be angry. And because they are afraid to be categorized as the angry black woman and have the, you know, the white tears and all that stuff pop into it. But, then how do you show anger? I you think there has been, um, well, my idea, and I, I, I'm finding so many, like you said, the conversation has changed. I think it has been precipitated by a, a larger conversation about mental health in the Black community. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one thing that has helped. So expressing your emotions and being honest with your emotions, I think is what is helping advance this conversation. Self-care is something that people talk about a lot. And so I think the point of honoring your emotions and validating your, you know, owning and validating yourself in a lot of ways, I think is part of what has moved the conversation forward. Mm -hmm. I think we have seen um, two people in particular that I think for me have really in the... Um, in, in the, what do you call it, the larger society have illuminated yeah. this idea. Number one would be Michelle Obama. Oh, queen. <laughs> so when she was, when they were running for, when Obama was running for president, I don't know if you remember, I think it was the New Yorker or somebody had her on the cover with the big Afro, they darkened her skin. She had guns around her and, you know, they were giving each other the, the, the terrorist fish jab or whatever. And so they, they were portraying her as an angry black woman. You know, Michelle Obama has been called everything from a monkey and a gorilla to a man and everything else. When I mentioned her name, you said queen. She is a queen to a lot of us. She has conducted herself impeccably through all of this. Oh, yes. Through all, why? Why? Society wasn't ready. I mean, you talk about a darned if you do situation. Exactly. Ivy League came from humble beginnings, good mother, um, professional, lawyer, married a politician, stood by his side. I mean, what else do you want from the woman? No. You and, dig and up her garden. The, the, <laughs> the, the nice garden they dug up. No, and then the, 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 the thing that boggles my mind is that so far, and I think this is going to stay true forever, there has been no scandal around the Obamas. No. Either husband or wife. And it's she, like, 
still they can't be given like could you imagine if they had semi news of her and all this other shenanigans we have going on so i think when you look at again a woman i drop her name you say queen a lot of other people will say the same thing they're like american royalty even if you don't go that far a lot of us will say she is someone deserving of respect and so for black women to see Michelle Obama treated this way, it's like, well, what do you have for the rest of us? Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? If you yeah, could oh, do that definitely. to her, Someone then who really has done nothing except good, and it's like, well, they tear her down. So then, everyone yeah, else their it's name. like, well, well, <laughs> dang it all to hell. <laughs> yeah, like what, 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 what else could we do? I mean, it's like, okay, well, we know, we know, there's no pleasing at this point. And that kind of um, answers my next question where I said, like, you know, prominent black women such as Oprah, Michelle mm-hmm. Obama, and Serena Williams do get categorized whenever they, as angry black women, if they show any little bit of emotion that's perceived to be negative, like, oh, you know, Oprah's mad about this. Or she, why? She, she's not mad. She's very annoyed that something is happening and she just voiced that opinion and suddenly she's angry. Serena Williams, if she, you know, if she grunts when she hits the ball, she's angry. Well, everyone seems to grunt at oof and off. They do now. Yeah. And I got (laughs) a quote. I believe uh, Serena and Venus were on the cover of Glamour or something, Vogue. I think it was Glamour. I don't know. It was years ago when I first started my career. And I read this article about how, you know, tennis being this white institution, these two black girls come in. You know, early Serena and Venus was braids clacking and, you know, their beads were all in their hair and they're making all this noise. I mean, they literally came in and made a lot of noise and brought the color to the game. And, um, you know, people just were white when they played tennis back in the day. I mean, like it was the whitest of the white thing you could do. And they came in. And they said, you know, well, they said you girls aren't speaking. They're like, okay, we walked in the locker room. We said, hi, you know, like we're not going to keep doing whatever. And then I think because Serena and Venus did not act happy to be there. They were not tokens. They did not go in there and saying, oh, thank you for the pleasure. They came in there and played and they played well and they won a lot. And I think, the fact that they did that work on their merits and yet their whole career, they've been called monkeys and men and all these horrible things since they were girls, girls. They were like 14, 15, 16. This has been going on since girlhood. So when I see Serena and Venus, especially Serena nowadays, because she's a little bit more out there, um, keeping her head up high and everything, I think that means a lot to her. And I was explaining to someone, every time I see Serena hit a tennis ball, some people might just see her playing tennis. I see her hitting back at this society. You're not going to stop me. I'm going to keep hitting hard. And they said, we didn't come in for tennis to change us. We didn't come in and, and, and assimilate. They're going to have to catch up with us. They're going to hit harder. We're not going to hit softer. Yeah. And I think the fact that they came in that game that way and said, catch up, everybody. We're not going to come down to your level. You get as good. They get beat. But you better believe that um, they brought changes to the game. And, yeah. you know, I was Googling this about a week or so ago, just out of curiosity. I don't know what, you know, Google, you just go down trains of thoughts and, yeah. um, it, you know, cause Serena had just played and I don't know she had lost and people were like, Oh, she should retire. And I'm like, she got further than so many people younger than her. You know, it's like, she should hang it up now. And, 
anyway, I was a little annoyed. And so I was looking up some of the things, um, just kind of researching, because I, I don't know if someone else had said something racist or something to them recently. But I'm like, it would be interesting just to see how many people have been fined or fired by just messing with <laughs> Venus and Serena. I mean, there have been commentators that have lost their jobs and all types of people, you know, commission, you know, people in the Texas, excuse me, in the tennis industry who have been so racist against them that they've lost their jobs. I just like to see how many people have been fired or put aside just for messing with them after all these years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so that is just, those, I think those women in particular being so excellent and still being so maligned yeah, kind of gives us the, well, you know what, darn if you do, darn if you don't. So yeah, we're just going to no, be us type of thing. It's, it's sad. It's very sad because it's like, well, these, they're, they're doing what they were trained to do since mm-hmm. age three, I believe, right? They were very young when they started. And when, and you're right, they have changed the game where you do see more colorful outfits. Mm-hmm. You actually, I think there was a time where you couldn't even show tattoos and whatnot. And I was like, okay, whatever, mm-hmm. go for it. And then the colorful outfits, I, you know, Serena's fashion sense, because she's like, I remember the, the outfit that stood out the most all these years. There's one, a ballerina one that she does. Uh-huh. She's like, I'm dressed as a ballerina. <laughs> Who cares? And then the, um, the Black Panther. The black one. one. Yeah. She's like, I'm gonna be, I, I love this movie. I'm gonna be Wakanda forever. It's like, and, and she had that badunkadunk, so that butt out there that people yeah. are trying to buy. I mean, Serena <laughs> got that butt, honestly. Um, you know, I mean, seriously, <laughs> there are people out there spending buku money to get that Serena butt, and yeah. you know, um, not you know, like you probably have to pay so much extra to get that. But <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you, you know just to see they haven't been in any mess they haven't personally what what kind of scandals have they had or anything like that these these young women have conducted themselves about as well as possible so when you look at women that we admire still being torn down to this degree um it just in a way fuels us to be more of ourselves in a very odd way and um when, you know, we have a saying, freedom ain't free. And what I've learned getting back to my show again and working with women of candor is everybody doesn't speak up. Everybody wasn't raised to speak up. Everybody doesn't know how to articulate themselves. Everybody can't be an advocate. And um, what I've learned is that people have used my ability to be outspoken and speak up yeah. for their benefit, but they will also leverage it against me. Mm. And so I've learned the benefit of it. Like I've become very judicious and intentional about when I speak up for others. And when I do, because it comes so naturally to me, I now let people know, just so you know, I'm outspoken. And that is why this is happening in your favor. Yeah. <laughs> because... <laughs> You're, you, there are people who can't and won't do it. No. And you're right, you're right. 
when, you know, and I don't like comparing people's struggle or anything because we all, everybody, and even white people, like all of us have different things that we contend with in this country. But at the beginning of the coronavirus, when Asian Americans were still being, you know, attacked very heavily and everything, and I don't know how, if that subsided or not, I don't know. It seemed like it had worsened at the beginning than it had been prior to that. A friend of mine lives in China. He's been there 20 years, African-American. And he wrote a Facebook post and he said, well, where are all these woke black and brown people? You know, (laughs) why aren't you speaking up for for Asian people or Chinese people? And I'm like, you know, like I got so livid. And the reason was I've got some black women hanging, you know, over my shoulder on this poster that I have. And one of them is Harriet Tubman. And you know, she traveled, I don't care how many times people say she went back and forth or not, but she helped free slaves and she made this world a better place for people. I've got Fannie Lou Hamer up here. She um, was a voting rights advocate. Um, She was beaten. And not only did they beat her, they made black men beat her when she was in jail, beat her till she had internal bruises. She had mental illness behind this beating that she got. Um, the women who came before me, excuse me, those women who came before me Mm -hmm. and saw their children sold away, saw their husbands sold away, were raped, were demeaned in people's homes, breastfed other people's children for them, cooked meals, cleaned for people when they didn't see their own children. When they got up and spoke truth to power, when they were beaten, when little girls were bombed in a church, when hoses were put on our women, when they had to walk in Montgomery instead of riding the bus for what, a year or whatever it was. We're angry, we are. We're human, we are. But our freedom cost us. So how dare anybody form their mouth about an African-American person not speaking up for another person. I don't care if we don't share another drop of blood in this country. Not one more drop of blood. Not one more piece of skin. Not be used in anybody's sexual way ever again in this country work for less, let alone work for nothing. So if you call me angry, look at the statistics, look at my history, look at the fact that me as dark as I am, am still 15% European ancestry. I don't have any white family members. Where did that European ancestry come from? Why is the average black person 20 to 30% European in this country right now? So if you want to talk about trauma and you want to say, why are they angry? 
Go look at your blood work. Go get your DNA test. How much African blood do you have? Why? Why do we have so much European blood in our country? Why did black people go around and say, you know, I'm part Native American. That's why I have this here. Because a lot of people don't want to say, you know what? My great grandmother got raped. My grandmother got raped. I don't see pictures of white people in my family. Where did it come from? So yeah, we get mad. If I find out last July, a year and a half ago, that I'm a descendant, a direct descendant of somebody who was lynched, and I go to work, and the shooting happens in El Paso when that young men went and shot up that, um, that Walmart, yeah. and I get to work in that Tuesday, while the flag is still hot, flying half mass because of that massacre, and people are making gun jokes down here in Texas, not about the incident, but just talking about guns. Mm -hmm. But I've just learned and read a book about how my great-grandfather, who I knew growing up, his grandfather went to jail for the crime of barn burning in Memphis, Tennessee in 1894. It was such a fiasco of a case that in 1894, his case was appealed all the way to the Supreme Court in Tennessee, and he was let out of prison because that's how bad. I've seen the court records, the transcripts. That's how much of a farce this case was. And not, I don't even know if it was two months, months later, um, the sheriff comes, rounds him and five other black men up, take them to jail, take them from their families. They're supposed to take them to Memphis um, via train, but they didn't. So they put them in a wagon. They shackled them together. They drove them by Bear Creek on the way. Some white men came out the woods. They were in the sheriff's custody and another man. And um, as they said, put up your arms to the sheriff and... 50 white men came out of the woods. And when the black men realized, one who was my third great grandfather realized what was about to happen, they tried to jump, but they were shackled together. They fall out the, the, the back of the truck in a heap. And they shot those man, men for 15 minutes straight. Dan Hawkins, my third great grandfather, I guess was uppity and they were mad that he had gotten out and everything. And they said his head was like jelly. They left him in the road overnight. Well, they left Michael Brown's body out in the street. They were in police custody in 1894. Frederick Douglass spoke about it. Ida B. Wells spoke about it. It was the shame of the South because the crime was barn burning. In what world? There were no animals or people or anything killed. In what world? does a person burn a barn and get a death penalty? When you look at George Floyd, in what world does a person pass a $20 counterfeit bill and get the death penalty? That was 1894, we're in 2020. So yes, if you see us mad in the street, you don't know the stories. You don't know the horror. You don't know the struggle. You don't know the fight.
and the fight continues. Period. That is, I'm so sorry your family had to even, you you had to know that. That's just. I didn't know until recently. Yeah. yeah. I had posted. That's just, that's just God. And, and, and I feel like a lot of people just don't want to understand this, that it's, it's compounded over Mm -hmm. hundreds of years, not just a few years, couple of years, 20 years, 50 years, hundreds of years of it compounded into reactions. And that's why when the reaction is happening, if you look at the compound effect of it, the snowball, Right. Simplified like a snowball effect. Like compound yeah. interest. Uh. Yeah, yeah, basically. It's, it's like, if it's all that's compounded, it's gonna it's like a pressure cooker. You right. leave it on slow pressure for a while, it'll stay. But then there's gonna be a point where it's gonna be like, I'm done. Yeah. That's it. I'm done. I don't care what, what happens, I'm done. And and that's why when we when these tropes and um ideas are passed on over and over, it it, it kind of for lack of a better word, handicaps the whole idea. It's like, mm-hmm. let me just, you know, you're an angry black woman, Sydney, and that's it. That's what you'll be. Because why are you so mad? That happened hundreds of years ago. It didn't happen to you. So you're fine. So that's what people use that kind of line of questioning. And I'm not saying that, of course. No, 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 <laughs> but, I get it. But, but people use that kind of line of questioning or thinking to say that, why are you so angry? You know, it, it happened a while ago. It, 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 to tell somebody they don't, they can't be angry or yeah. leverage their anger, anger against them is to minimize their humanity. Yeah. Um, we have Black Lives Matters today. Um, back in the abolish, abolitionist movement, it was, am I not a man? And then it became, am I not a woman? And if people know Sojourner Truth, you know, they changed it to ain't I a woman, which I don't know if she said it that way. That is debated whether or not somebody went back and changed her words. She was born in New York. She uh, was raised speaking, I believe, Dutch and Jersey for the first nine years of her life. And she did not have a Southern accent, but that's how her speech has been reinterpreted. But anyway, I'll move forward. So you have, am I not a man in the abolition, abolitionist movement? Am I not a woman? Then you had this, the signs in the sixties when black men were marching, I am a man. And now we're in 2020 and people are saying black lives matter. We are still trying to be seen as fully human 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 that's all we haven't even gotten to that level and so i was talking to someone and you know about this lynching situation and again people say why are you going back there tell a jewish person not to talk about the holocaust please exactly exactly why are you telling me not to talk about the holocaust of my people if it matters to them and it was important to them it matters to me and it's important to me i don't want to forget why am I supposed to forget? I can't forget because it is not over. It's not. No, so, you know, um, I challenge people to go back and look at pictures of lynchings. And I have a social relations degree, minor in African-American studies. And when we studied the pathologies of African-Americans and black people, I'm like, why don't we study white people? You know, this is 25 years ago. And I'm like, could we study white people, please? Yeah. And I'm like, what about the people under the tree? Let's talk about the people who took their families 
to watch people burn and hang and took their ears and their penises and their body parts home as trophies. They made postcards of them. What kind of people do that? Can we talk about the pathologies of white people who did that? I see that in movies and documentaries where just they'll just say it or a movie will reenact the thing and there'll be kids, parents holding their kids in their shoulders. Look at that. Look at this. And I'm just horrified. I'm like, I, you try to protect your kids from all. And these, these are people who are, let's go see, you know, this bleep bleep hang. So and is that trauma? It. Were those kids traumatized? Is that trauma? If today somebody took children to go watch someone be hanged and killed, would we consider that trauma? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're setting this up, child up for so a, a future. who's dealt with their trauma, number one? Mm-hmm. Number two, if it is not trauma, let's say it's not trauma. They're saying, oh, it wasn't traumatic. We just moved on. Then what the hell does it say about you that doing that is not traumatic? To me, it's even worse. It's, I, I don't even know how anyone justified the idea of wanting to go see. Let's so, say the perpetrators are doing it, but then, hey, wife, hey, kids, hey, neighbor, everyone, let's go see. It's just that the communal part of it, that let's all go see this happen. So if you have community legacy, I have community legacy. You know when you're in church, you're kind of loud. I know when I'm in church, I'm kind of loud. My family, we're kind of boisterous and stuff. We have characteristics. We have pathologies. We have things we pass down. Do not those white people, have they not passed down things? Mm-hmm. Where are, are they cops now? Are they teachers now? Are they doctors now? Where are they? So where are the descendants of the tree people? Somebody tell me, because I think I see them every day. I think I see them every day. I think I talk to them. I think I interact with them. Sometimes I know them when I see them. Sometimes I don't. But you cannot make me believe that there are some people on some days, if they had their druthers, they would string my black ass up. And I'm not joking with you. So yes, um, anger, hurt, fear, we feel all those things. Why do you think only 4% of Black women voted for Donald Trump and 52% of white women voted for Donald Trump? Mm -hmm. We are the most vulnerable people in this country. We could afford at least to have him in office. least even black men yeah we had no choice and so if you have the privilege of saying i am i am an undecided voter <laughs> or i'm just going <laughs> to look at the policies <laughs> after that man came down that escalator if you've actually had the benefit of feeling like you've had a choice Congratulations. You must feel very safe in this country. Congratulations. Thank God tonight you feel like you have a choice. That's uh because we knew what was gonna happen. I'm I'm getting horror goosebumps up and down my arms. Just thoughts, all the things you're saying, they're hitting me like little like arrows, like oh god, 
So when we see those babies in cages, they may not look like black babies. We knew that man was capable of that for everyone. When Heather Heyer got ran over by that car at that march, no, no, no. She's white. But everyone becomes vulnerable when a person like that is in charge. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anybody knows that like a black woman. Yeah. That's just it's it's humbling to think about these things with your insight on this because I've thought about these things, but just the way you're describing a lot of these experiences, I'm, I'm going through a lot of different emotions, like horror, fear, anger. I'm angry mm-hmm. right now. Right. You? I'm, right. Like, I'm angry. <laughs> what the hell? What the hell <laughs> and you're right. I saw on the news yesterday, someone was like, I- I'm, I'm still thinking of who to vote for. I was like, I'm going to come down there, put on my rings and backslap you at this point. Cause I am not about that right now. No, there is a clear choice in this election. And I don't care. I, I, Biden's the only reasonable choice at this point. I don't care if you don't like him. He's reasonable. At least he's not going to go crazy. <laughs> I don't not, even I'm care. A, I don't even look. I haven't watched the news in like years. I don't even I do. I was going to vote for Mickey Mouse for all to happen. I was like, yeah, I do my. I'm, I'm going to run. I'm going to vote for them. I have refused. And, and I've actually told people now, I was like, if you just, if I have people who have had, to, I've had to say like, if you were going to vote for this man, I don't think I can talk to you ever again. I, I just can't. I cannot be. You, you are just negativity, negativity walking around to me. Bye. And again, what I caution people, what, what I say too, is a lot of people talk about the man. Yeah. It is the people in the crowd. Hitler didn't do that stuff by himself. No. By himself. Oh, no, 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 no. Everybody, those are people on two legs going home to their families, perpetrating atrocities day after day. Again, when I look at an auditorium or a coliseum or whatever you want to call it, full of Trump supporters, and they're yelling, lock her up or laughing and build the wall and all these things that are dog whistles, where do they go the next day? Do they get up and go work at the bank? Are they at the grocery store? Are they the loan officer? Are they the farmer? Are they your kid's teacher? Who are those people? Mm-hmm. So it's not just him. Yeah. And I, I just want to impress that upon people. So when you say why Black people are angry and you see what you see on a mass scale like that, Imagine being a black woman and and going around the world with those people walking around too. This whole Karen thing, it's on video. Do you think Karens are a new phenomenon? No, 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 no. Is that new? I think cell phone videos have become the biggest tool of awareness because now everyone is seeing and and it takes only a second to pop out a phone, take a video and post it online and and it will go. It just goes and... And the amount of videos in these past, you know, five, six months, because now with the pandemic, I feel like people are able to focus. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we were in regular life doing our regular things, there was, okay, we watched the news a little bit. Okay, this is wrong. This is bad. Make a post about it. Now but we're all sitting at home. And when you see these things have all this attention, you're like, what the hell is going on in the world? 
something's yep. wrong. Something is very wrong if we are still here in 2020. And then when you see all these Karens and all the things that they're doing at Trader Joe's or all these stores, and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> like, how is this even okay? Like, I go, to, I go to the grocery store. I get mad sometimes, you know, but I'm not going to be like, well, I'm going to throw everything at you and you're a beep, 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 beep. Right. I'll probably just give you like evil eyes. Like, right. I'm so mad at you. <laughs> And my my worst wish for people is like I hope you get a flat tire. That's right, your right. Convenience for the day. <laughs> there you go. But just because of these phones and the way you're seeing so many things come out the woodwork, and and it's interesting how in this pandemic you're seeing this more. Whereas mm-hmm. you would see maybe a Karen video maybe once in five, six, seven months. Now it's like every week. Here's another one. Here's another one. Well, Here's people are emboldened. Yes, they are so emboldened. They are. And, you know, when, when we talk about earlier about being angry and what it looks like, one of the things that has angered me most um, since the pandemic and the George Floyd thing, I mean, and it just took me over the edge, was I have a 16-year-old niece and I have a 10-year-old nephew. Yeah. And um, she lives in McKinney, where that little skinny girl was thrown down by the police several years ago. I don't know if you remember that. No, no. Um, a police officer. She, yeah, you know, it was, it was kind of a mess. Um, so she's 16. She is a twig. She's very thin and petite. (laughs) We're like, we didn't know you were this short. I don't know if she's five, two or what. She's petite and thin and she's on the track team. So this summer she was keeping up with her conditioning and she was running and, um, she saw what happened to Ahmaud Arbery. So they live in a predominantly white neighborhood. I don't know if I've ever seen black neighbors over there or not. I think about it. Um, so she, stop running for a couple of weeks because she didn't know if somebody would stop her in their neighborhood. Mm. And she wrote a post on Instagram to her friends and everything and explained, if you have a problem with me saying black lives matter and I'm worried about my little brother and my dad and you know, the, my cousins and the men in my family, um, then I'm not going to go back and forth with you. Like we just need to respectfully not um, follow one another. But she also talked about how she was afraid to run and how she tries to make herself smaller when she sees law enforcement. Like I said, she's maybe five, two, maybe probably a size four. How do you make a frame like that smaller She's on the National Honor Society. She's a good kid. Why is she walking around at 16 afraid of the police? Yeah. And trying to make herself smaller to men with guns. So if you're 16 and you feel that way, and you go do the right thing, and you go to college and you get a job, And then people may or may not be that nice to you. That was one of the most hurtful things in my generation was that we thought if we went to college and if we did well, that we were going to be okay and everything was going to be fine and the American dream would happen. And when my niece looked at me, she was interviewing me for like StoryCorps for class a couple years ago. She said, well, what's it like being a professional black woman, Auntie Sydney?" And I just bust out crying because I just didn't want to look at her in her face and the thought of her going through the things that 
I've gone through and my colleagues and my friends have gone through as professional black women, I, I, I just, I, it just hurt my heart to, to have that question from her. And I went to tea on, at a fancy hotel in New York with six black women and four of the six had one discrimination suits, not filed, one. I know so many women who have won discrimination suits in 2020. I know someone that just won several months ago. Wow. A woman with a PhD. And so when I see, when people talk about Black women becoming the biggest entrepreneurs and having one of the biggest rates of entrepreneurship in this country, it's because we're, we're leaving corporate America or the director positions or these, uh, they're not for us. Yeah. When I know if I'm going in the room, I'm getting paid less than everybody. Yeah. The likelihood is that I will be paid less than everybody when I step in the room, mm-hmm. period, no matter what my results are. So we're angry sometimes and we also have a lot of fun, you know, but I want people to use empathy. And when someone tried to level their tears at me last year, I said, okay, I'm going to handle this. And I had a conversation with the person and I said, could you please look at this from my perspective? It wasn't even a racial conversation. It was another person of color. Yeah. I said, could you please look at this from another perspective? I said, could you have some empathy for me? I said, I was in the hospital the other day. And while I was in 24, less than 24 hours of having the worst pain of my life, I was working with you from my hospital bed all day long. Yeah. Can you look at the text you sent me and that I was working compared to two weeks ago when you went and had an outpatient procedure? And I told you, I'm praying for you the night before. And then I told you the next morning, don't worry about work. And I see how I treated you and how we treated me when I was in the hospital. And when these people came and pulled a tube from my stomach through, out through my nose yeah. and blood clots are coming out. And 15 minutes later, I'm still texting you and working. Like, please just have some compassion for me, please. And she cried. I knew I wasn't going to be the one crying that day. But part of the dealing with the anger when I talk to Black women is ask people just to have some empathy for you. Yeah. Just think about it. Doctors don't think Black people have as much pain as other people. Doctors literally will not prescribe us pain medicine. So that's why we're not suffering from the opioid addiction at the same (laughs) rates. They won't give us drugs. They think we're drug seeking, but that means we have to deal with more pain, literally, physically more pain. So, I mean. No, oh my goodness. This conversation is enlightening. The best well, thank you. <laughs> and you know, you did touch on this uh, with your niece about the idea that, you know, she's worried about her brother. And, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of black families do talk to their sons, how to mm-hmm. deal with police, what to do, what not to do. Is there something similar for girls? how to behave or not come off as the angry black woman or is there is it more same thing towards the police that I think it's added okay I think um the here's the thing when I grew up in the 80s um crack epidemic gang violence um a lot of violence that you know in that era coming up 
and the rates of incarceration just out of control for black men. So we were raised to think that if a black man got to 25, he were lucky. He was going to be lucky if you lived to 25. So we were taught that black boys deserve all the attention and love because they have the biggest issues. I was on YouTube last night and there's this quote about black men being the most unprotected in society and everything that is attributed to Malcolm X. And there was a black man on there arguing that no black men are more (laughs) protected than black women. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to delete my comment and go get off of YouTube right now. (laughs) Um, And so Yes, there's always been a role that Black women have played, but I think the the role that we're in now, it's like, okay, after Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, and many others, there was a young woman, I believe she was in Baltimore that got shot while holding her baby. Like, there's there's so many cases. Um, We've seen Black women thrown to the ground, grandmothers, pregnant women, everything. So I do believe that conversation, I know my sister has that conversation with my niece. It's in the first episode of the Women of Candor podcast, Um, primarily about my nephew, but we talk about my niece as well. Um, Yeah, the conversation has gotten broader. And it's always been a Black woman's issue because we've always been daughters, wives, mothers, grandmothers. So no matter what a Black man goes through, a Black woman goes through it as well. And so, you know, I think it's very hard to say if you're not locked up, but I know the rates of incarceration for Black women went up. And when Black women go to jail, the children typically don't have two parents. Um, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just keeping it real or the number of Black women who were raising grandchildren during the crack epidemic. So it does impact the whole family system. Definitely. And it, you know, like I said, when you're selling people away and doing these things for generations, when you look at Tulsa, Oklahoma and Black Wall Street, when we, when we strived and we tried to have things, they literally burned them down or burned them or got jealous and killed people and said, you better not have anything. So I think, again, look at the history and say, okay, If Black people were getting jobs and trying to get housing and there's this thing called redlining and you couldn't get a nice house in a nice neighborhood, okay, what did that mean for generations? When you couldn't own a home, you couldn't get a bank loan. Yeah. Yeah. No, and you brought the Tulsa massacre and the interesting thing was, you know how many surprisingly people have learned about this now? Mm -hmm. They had no idea. And the thing is, I mean, I didn't grow up in the South, but I do feel that the history books here are a little vague. Mm-hmm. For the better term for that, they're a little vague in a lot of things. I learned about the massacre in the Northeast. And so mm-hmm. we knew about it. We were like, right. oh, okay, yeah, this happened. Oh my God, it's horrible. horrible. And when this year, after, you know, uh, Ahmaud Arbery and uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these people being in the front and center of every single movement. And then people are like, oh, did you hear about this massacre that happened mm-hmm. years ago? And they're like, and I was like, yeah, we did. And and then there was a question that went on online that people were asking, like, when did you learn about it? And it was surprising to see people say within the past year, the overarching right. number of people who learned about it now mm-hmm. versus people who were taught in school. And it depended completely on logistically where you were living. And that was not an isolated incident. Oh, no, no. <laughs> and so I think it's like the multiplier effect of all these things. 
Mm-hmm. When you start multiplying it, when you start looking at health outcomes of Black women, economic, yeah. our level of educational attainment, all of these things that, you know, we have a high degree of Black women attending universities, yeah. still not getting ahead economically for many different reasons. Um, so again, it can get kind of darn if you do situation. Yeah. And it's like, we're trying as hard as we can, but if you cannot be Michelle Obama and get respect, if you cannot be Serena Williams and be the goat, I mean, what, I mean, what else do you want? Yeah. That's just, that's insane. Just If you're Oprah and you get stopped at the Hermes store. (laughs) It's like, really? I heard that one. I was like, yeah. Like, so if Oprah gets stopped, yeah. what happens to me? Yeah. She's a billionaire. Yeah, literally. Literally. So what happens to the rest of us? Yeah. So I just want people to challenge your thinking. Like, look at the highest of the highest profile Black women and look what they go through. Yeah. And then look at somebody who makes a good salary like me, then somebody who makes a decent salary, and then somebody who was born into poverty. And if you don't want to talk about class and race and class in this country, then you don't want to have that conversation either, because class is one of the biggest um, falsehoods of the American dream that we've ever seen. I mean, Black GIs were routinely not included and got the benefits of the GI Bill. That is what helped create the middle class in America. So all that social mobility you saw, people were left out of that. Mm. This is not, you didn't want to work. This was, you told me no. We're still having firsts in 2020. Oh yeah. And we've been here a while. <laughs> Much longer than many of us have. Definitely. Many of our, mm-hmm. you know, forefathers have not been here as long as, you know, black families can trace their roots back. Generate. Oh gosh. I got an assignment. Yeah. I'll, I'll stop because I got an assignment when I was a freshman in college and the man was like, go back and go to your furthest back person or whatever he called it. And he wanted us to talk about the language of where we come from and the religion and everything. And I'm like, sir, Um, I'm African-American. I got dropped off from somewhere. Africa has thousands of languages, many, many countries. I cannot complete this assignment with any level of specificity. What what were the customs of the women? What were the men like? I don't know where I'm from. My last name is not African. And then when they said, well, who's the furthest back in person in your family? And they said, well, my bumper came from Ireland or my grandma came from Scotland or my such and such came from England. I'm like, we've been here longer than my, my, <laughs> my great, 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 great. We've been here for a while, people. Yeah, been here a minute. So. Yeah, we've been here a no. minute. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm looking around the class like, are you kidding me? You guys just got here. Not everybody, yeah. but come on, really. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's very true. And, and you know what, this whole idea, when this episode came about the angry black woman, and when we spoke on the phone, Mm -hmm. this was 
before Breonna's uh, mm-hmm. uh, trial the result. Mm-hmm. And since then, now we know the result. How, I mean, we have people who are definitely angry and very annoyed by the, you know, the acquittal. And it's like, okay, yeah, basically the building mattered more than this woman's life and right. whatnot. And now I'm even hearing the other side. People are like, well, her boyfriend shouldn't have shot back. She was sleeping in her bed. And it's like right. you know, the idea that if you're in the wrong place the wrong time, in your own bed, sleeping is not the wrong place or the wrong time. Imagine being in the wrong skin all the time. Yeah. Oh, God. Why did you say that? God, God, God. Oh, my goodness. Imagine being in the wrong skin all the time. No, that's... For 45 years. Wow. To some people, my breathing is an offense. The fact that I am alive is offensive. Now add the fact that I'm a professional and I have a college degree and I'm articulate and all those things that go along with that. Do you know how much that offends some people? my my minuscule head it just doesn't make sense it's like right what's what's wrong with someone who's worked hard and gotten where they are but this whole Breonna outcome mm-hmm. has it I, I'm sure it's made everyone angry but what else are you feeling because of the outcome you know I think this particular case I'm exhausted I'm gonna be honest with you mm. I'm exhausted Um, I saw a little bit about it and I just shut down. Um, I, I make those choices sometimes, you know, I was off of Facebook for six weeks when COVID happened. I'm originally from Michigan. So just the amount of death that was happening on my Facebook page was where it was. So I shut down social media. Um, I've talked to very few people about it. Yeah. Um, I've seen the posts. Um, I posted the other day. I am angry. I am black. I am a woman and I am human. So that's okay. That's all I had to say. You know, that's it. I'm human. How would anybody feel? That's how I feel. I mean, I mean, it, it just, it's one more example. And I'm tired of the examples. We've got enough. I mean, like I said, we've got keep centuries counting, of this stuff. Counting. We've got centuries of it. And the technicalities and the, all these other things and the minutia of it all. Um, wow. You know, you've got Amber Geiger. You've got, I mean, the five cops that killed, were killed here in Dallas. I cried about that. I was sickened by that. So I have the capacity to have empathy for everyone. And I don't know if everyone has the capacity to have empathy for me. And that makes me sad. And some days it makes me mad. Wow. Lots to think, to think about right there. It's a lot to, you know, like digest. <laughs> and I'm sure people, when they listen to it, they're like, wow, I didn't think that way. I have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. What do you think makes a good ally? Because I know with all the movements and everything and all the attention and people, definitely the country is divided in two different sides right now. And people do want to show certain minorities that, hey, we are allies. Sometimes they go about it the right way. Many times they, they're well-intentioned, but they miss the mark. What do you think makes a good ally? If, if, you, if someone was saying that, Sydney, I want to be an ally to the Black community. What can I do? Do what you did, educate the next generation, 
educate. If it's not in your school, we have enough resources to do it at home. Please, please, please educate yourselves and the next generation about the history and the reality of this country. I think that's number one. Be responsible for your education. If there's something you want to ask your black friend, Google it first. Um, <laughs> try that. The Google machine works for everything. Yeah. How to get the best eyelashes, yeah. how to get dark circles off your eyes, yeah. how to help black people. There's an article out there for that. Um, I would say make tough choices. We're missing a lot of information. People who don't yeah. actively are educating themselves or seeking it out, or if it's not in their, you know, immediate things to do, we're right. missing a whole group of people's perspective. Right. And this election and this year, I think it has re, you know, re, uh, centered everyone's focus. Like, Hey, right. there's some real shit problems in the country. Right. We got to take care of that. And this man ain't helping. So right. we should place him first and then, and then work on these things. Yeah. Let's so start there, please. Let's start there. That'll be step one, number one. Please. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sydney, for being Thank authentic. you for having me. Of course, Thank no, you. This is amazing. And I, oh my goodness. Again, I'm a woman of candor. We get all the feelings. We ended on a laugh. I know we did. We get all the feelings. I went through all these emotions. It's all the feelings. Okay. Goodness. What a conversation. I have goosebumps. Whenever someone weaponizes anger against black women, it is designed to silence them. It is designed to discredit them and to say that they are overreacting, that they are being hypersensitive, that their reaction is outsized. Think about that and let's be better, let's do better to educate ourselves and talk to people and learn their experiences. As always, make sure to like and rate and subscribe to the podcast, which is Authentic and Unfiltered with Fraheen. And do follow us on Instagram at authentic.unfiltered. And we do have a YouTube channel as well and a blog. Yeah, all everything's there. All this information is at fraheenraza.com. All right, everyone, until next time, take care. Make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. You can also follow and message mom on Instagram at authentic.unfiltered. For all links and details, go to fahinraza.com. Mm-hmm.